0: The president of Haiti, Juvenel Moise, was assassinated on July 7th in the early morning in his home. The question is, was it an arrest gone wrong or was it a personal vendetta that someone was just trying to get their revenge? And more interesting, was it a part of a globalist conspiracy? Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 239, July 11th, 2021. Now, this show is brought to you by listeners like you, and this is a value-for-value podcast, which means we don't have advertisers on the show. And thousands of people turn to this show every month to better understand the schemes and the strategies that are being used against us and propped up against us. Our purpose has never been more vital, which is to build and establish within our personal lives clear and coherent worldviews so that we can see the world more clearly and so that we can own our futures. So if you get value from the show, which I assume if you're listening, you do get value from the show, then consider supporting the show in an active manner. So to get off and stop being a passive listener today, you can visit the website lucascrobot.com and you can give your hard, cold fiat there. Or you can give and be an active listener rather than just a passive listener by streaming Bitcoin on your favorite Bitcoin streaming value podcasting 2.0 certified app. Where do you find one of these apps? Well, you can visit newpodcastapps.com and find a player with a value tag in it like Podfriend or Breeze or Sphinx. I like listening to episodes and podcasts this way because one, I can give back to the content creators that I personally enjoy listening to. And two, I'm giving value back in a dynamic way as I'm getting value from it. So podcasting 2.0 value app. Now, today we're talking about Haiti. And I grew up in Haiti uh, for a time, short time between uh, coups in 92 and 93, and a beautiful country, absolutely beautiful country, while at the same time, it's ravaged by poverty. It is the most impoverished nation in the Caribbean and probably one of the most impoverished nation, nations in the world. And when I was growing up there, I would I would remember looking out of our window and seeing stacks of black smoke and asking my parents, you know, what are these stacks of black smoke? And they would explain to me, well, they're burning tires because they're rioting or protesting something in the city. And uh, gunshots would be going off all day, all night. Uh, Voodoo recessions would be going down our street at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. So quite vivid memories from from that time. It's still a a place that's near and dear to my heart. But in today's episode, we'll be looking at what has happened in Haiti, some of the the theories, some of the facts that are coming out from this uh, assassination and more importantly we 're going to be zooming out a little bit to understand some of these uh, the globalist strategies and some of the apparatuses that are being used to uh, pressure and control independent nations across the globe and why that 's important to people like you and I well so here 's the official the official press release from Haiti says that around 1 o'clock in the morning on the night of Tuesday, July 6th, early morning, 1 a.m. on Wednesday, July 7th, 2021, a group of unidentified individuals who now uh, most of them have been caught, some of who spoke Spanish, attacked the private residence of the president of the Republic of Haiti and thus mortally wounded the head of state. Now, most of these people have been caught. Here is a clip from the Global National, talking about just that, some of these individuals who have been caught. According to
1: investigators, 28 men were part of the plot. 26 of them were Colombian. In that country's defense minister is confirming several of the men are retired Colombian soldiers and is promising cooperation with the
0: investigation. Now, as it said, 26 have been caught that are Colombian and they hold Colombian passports. The The story goes that they came over to the Dominican Republic from Colombia, where they, they assembled, and then two teams of them came in independently across the border into Haiti. Now, there were two uh, Haitian-American—Haitian uh, descent, but American uh, passport-holding individuals in this group who they say that they were just there— as translators, that they knew it happened, but they did not participate in the killing. And these two Haitian Americans said that they were there, but they were not, the team did not go to kill the president, according to uh, Tampa Bay Times. They said that their, their mission was to arrest the president at his home, and then go to the presidential palace and uh, essentially re a, a new president, some sort of coup. It sounds like, but their, their goal was not to flat out assassinate the president, which is somewhat confusing in my mind. Why would a bunch of Colombian mercenaries be sent to arrest a sitting president if they're not being sent to assassinate him? Maybe, maybe it was Uh, an arrest just gone terribly wrong. But when you dig a little deeper into the layers of this case and the, the the brutality of this assassination, I think the story does not hold weight. Here is a clip from CNBC with Gary Pierre Pierre, who is the the Haitian Times founder and editor.
1: Shepard, the details are pretty gory. His eyes were. Pull out of his face. His
0: He was uh, shot 15, 14, 12 times. Uh. His eyes were pulled out of his face. He was tortured. He wasn't just killed. He was tortured and shot 12 to 15 times. This is not just a, you know, light political assassination. There seems to be some, some real bad blood behind it. So maybe, maybe... They went under the, the guise and the premise that, oh, we're just going to arrest him. And that's how they got this group of people on board. But clearly there were some people there who, who had a different agenda. He, he goes on.
1: Uh, it was a really bloody scene, uh, one that you know, t- led me to believe that this was not politically motivated. This was personal. Yeah. That kind of uh, violence is unleashed on
2: someone you have deep animosity for. Personal Where does that lead your very well-trained mind on this matter?
1: Well, he had been attacking severely the business community, and he had alienated everyone. And so he had taken over some monopolies. But the problem with that is that it it sounds good, but he was complicit in some other things as well. He was not as clean as he uh, thought he was. And so he attacked. Their, their livelihood, their monopolies, and uh, he, in fact, just two days before his death, he had uh, sent a, a warrant, a warrant arrest for one of his top uh, opponent, who's also one of the leading uh, businessmen in the country.
0: Wow! So it seems like some business leaders had it out for him, and that could bring this layer. I mean, he, was, he had warrants out for business leaders. Arrests. He attacked monopolies and he he was arresting opponents of his political party. So there's a lot, it seems like there are probably some individuals who had a lot of motive. This comes from Powerhouse News, an article they wrote saying there might be something darker here. Moise faced rising requests from Haiti corporate executives to consider developing ties with China, as well as demand from opposition figures to resign. Haiti is one of the few countries in the world that still recognizes Taiwan's independent independence and maintains close ties with the island republic of Taiwan. China does not like nations and does not deal well with nations who are still friends with Taiwan. The Washington Post wrote this. Haiti is one of only 15 governments, 15 in the world that still maintain diplomatic relationships with Taiwan instead of China, because China will not have a diplomatic relationship with you if you have a diplomatic relationship with Taiwan. Beijing has been gradually peeling off the Taipei remaining diplomatic partners with the help of inducements such as loans, promises of economic and diplomatic support. The Solomon Islands, which their diplomatic recognition from Taipei to Beijing in 2019, following El Salvador, Burkina Faso and the Dominican Republic in 2018. Beijing has wooed Haiti in recent years, according in, in June. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas Greenfield, criticized China for using vaccine diplomacy, (laughs) vaccine diplomacy to pressure Taiwan's diplomatic allies, saying that Beijing was putting a tremendous amount of pressure on Haiti, according to Taiwan's official central news agency. Mm -mm -mm, China. China looks like they could be. In have some sort of play in this, especially when you consider that it was businessmen, businessmen who wanted to have better economic relationships with China. And if a president and his his cabinet, his ministers, prime ministers are against this, well, that doesn't that doesn't bode very well for China's Belt and Road Initiative. Now. Even just back a month ago in June, uh, June 18th, I believe, yes, China blocks a U.S. resolution on Haiti. Haiti and the Haitian government took part in a special session at the U.N. Security Council, and they requested more assistance from the U.N. due to mounting crime and violence. At the end of the interventions, China China blocked the U.N. Security Council. A resolution to support Haiti drafted by the United States, which deplored the deterioration of political and security and humanitarian situations, stressing urgent need to hold a free and fair presidential and parliamentary elections in 2021, according to some diplomat. This Chinese decision could be related to Haiti's unwavering support for Taiwan, which in turn actively supports the Caribbean ally of Haiti. Go figure. Mm. So if here we have a situation where the president, the late president, wasn't on friendly terms with China. China is blocking aid from the UN because of their, most likely because of their diplomatic relationships. And here, here's another layer. Uh, just on July 5th, Moïse appointed a new prime minister. This new prime minister, Ariel Henry, turns out to be the seventh prime minister since 2017. Seventh prime minister. But this is where things get a little even more complicated, is that he wasn't actually instated. And the prime minister, the current prime minister, who's now been appointed to president, Claude, he was only a, an interim prime minister. <laughs> oh, OK, well, here's the, the story thickens. Here's this next clip. This is, again, by uh, the, the first clip by Global National.
1: Now, the other two men arrested after the attack are Americans of Haitian descent. One of them has a tie to Canada. So, James Salage ran a charity out of Florida, but according to his online bio, he was quote "Chief Commander of Bodyguards for the Canadian Embassy in Haiti. In 2010, we hired a lot of people. Canada's former ambassador confirmed Salage worked at the embassy, but he says Salage was hired through a security agency and never had any sort of a special title.
0: I saw his face. Honestly, I don't remember him.
1: Now, one of the things that shocked the former ambassador is how quickly the suspects were caught. They didn't get far. In fact, most don't appear to have made it out of the neighbourhood where the attack took place. The number of people you see, well, it's quite professional. But on the other side, the way they they try to escape the the resident of the president, it's looked quite amateur in my view.
0: Which is confusing. There is this level of this looks quite professional. This looks quite put together. And then at the same time, all of them are getting caught. It kind of looks a little amateurish, which, you know, did they really have an exit strategy or did something go terribly wrong? Did someone else in that party uh, know what was really supposed to happen? Now, th- this is from Mint Press News. The Haitian Times reported that Solaj used to work as a security guard for both the Bolus and the Verbes, two prominent members of Haiti's tiny bourgeoisie. Although initially friendly to him, they became to uh, Moise they became bitter opponents. Balus Balus was a prominent supporter of the previous coup's, coups in ninety one and 2004 against President Jean Bernard. The Bulus family is one of the wealthiest in Haiti and owns a pharmaceutical company that in 1996 was responsible for poisoning scores of children with tainted fever medicine, some fatally. Since July 6th through 7th, 6th through 8th, 2018, national uprising against the IMF dictated hike of fuel prices, Bolus has attempted to recast himself as a popular progressive figure. Now, many believe that Bolus is the intellectual author and financer backer backer of Moïse's assassination. Uh, This is where it gets a little quirky, which I I don't know. It's kind of like I'll read it. I'll let you make your own assumption. Lots of factors have been pointing to Belous' involvement. One, Salaja's uh, employment in, in the past. And the arrival of mercenaries in nine brand new Nissan Patrol vehicles without license plates. Suggesting that they were vehicles coming from the Nissan dealership owned by who? Belous. <laughs> the Asian people have already concluded that Belous was behind the assassination. Uh, wow. So, I mean... If I was architecting this, I probably wouldn't have them drive my cars off the dealership and say, like, yeah, here's nine Nissan patrols. Don't worry about it. Just take them off the lot and run. Uh, That's where it's like, ah, maybe not. But there is motive. There's financial motive, especially if this Balu's character wanted to cozy up to China and they're... Didn't seem like that was going to be happening anytime soon. And with the Belt and Road Initiative, there can seem to be a lot of financial incentive. And if if his businesses were getting hit, there could be also be a personal angle to this all. So the big question is, who is going to take over? Well, that's a mess. As I said, we have the, the newly appointed prime minister. We have the current prime minister prime minister who's on his way out and the the law actually says that someone totally else should step in according to the 1987 law it's the head of the supreme court should be the the, the chief supreme justice of the supreme court the most senior judge he or she should step into the place of president uh but they died of covid last month what a mess Uh, this same law is debated because it was amended in 2011 saying that the parliament prime minister should dictate the new president but claude was an interim prime minister and just two days before the assassination moise appointed a new prime minister but wasn't officially sworn in. So who 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 decided who gets to be the new prime minister? Ah, the UN. The UN decided uh we're going to keep Clauden as the new standing president. Uh in some ways that makes sense. Uh, the new guy he he wasn't sworn in yet. Henry wasn't sworn in yet. He was, was just announced. But that to me seems oddly suspicious. And the UN, let's just be let's just be frank, it's not the it's not the most bright and shining organization. After all, the people that the, the nations that control the UN are those that sit on the UN Security Council and China sits on the UN Security Council, which they were the ones that blocked Haiti from getting aid just less than a month ago. Because of mm, political tension. So let's talk about the UN for a moment. The UN is, for lack of a better word, just a a tool, an apparatus that is being used for communist globalist control to push globalist agendas. Here is Haleel Niur from the UN Watch Group.
3: Still, when they hear the words, the United Nations Human Rights Council decided, they imagine men in white robes with long white beards, uh, strolling along Mount Olympus, making their decisions based on facts, logic, or morality. When, Ali, nothing could be further from the truth. Sitting around the table today at the United Nations Human Rights Council, which is the new and improved, supposedly improved version of what Eleanor Roosevelt chaired back in 1946, sitting around the table are not... Aristotle, Socrates, or Plato, but in fact, uh, Gaddafi, Castro, the members today that have just joined recently include the Chinese Communist Party is one member of the Human Rights Council, Russia's Putin regime, Venezuela's Maduro regime, and Cuba's communist regime. These are 60% of today's Human Rights Council at the United Nations.
0: So the Human Rights Council is comprised of 60% communist nations, and this the human the U.N. was set up as as a, a function to spread communism. Actually, there's documentation that we're going to get into in a moment where they talk about how communism actually the communist thought communist leaders believed that the world could be more easily taken over by the U.N. than as by Moscow. This is back in 1960, 1963, and sometimes these two centers compete with each other as they're doing now, which was now years ago in Congo, the UN and uh, communist ideology, Marxist socialist ideology. So the UN is used as a front to grant certain nations uh, legitimacy in the eyes of the world, and it is a, it is a corrupt organization. Here, Halal goes on to talk about how this whole voting system really works.
3: But around the world, the United Nations carries with it the imprimatur of international legitimacy. They can give you a badge of international legitimacy. So China, Russia, Cuba, Venezuela, Libya— Today, all members of the Human Rights Council, because they want to wear that false badge of international legitimacy, and they will trade stuff. China has enormous reserves, financial uh, capital assets, political assets that they can trade to your country in order for them to get a seat on that body, because they really need and want that false badge of international legitimacy. And they'll trade whatever they need, they'll pressure whoever they need to win those seats on that body
0: it is all it's just all one big pr campaign if you can if you can trade votes in in the un and say hey i if you give me a vote i'll give you a vote and you can get my things passed through and i'll help you get your things passed through and that way i can gain legitimacy i can get my face on the the council for human rights in the midst of being a violator of human rights i can get my my name on the, the security council and essentially having veto power, the, the USSR, they had veto power because they're on the, the council for human, uh, the security council, which is the, the ruling body, which has veto power over any bilateral decisions that are being made. And then the rest is just this debating, debating council and group, but it, it all is branding. It is all is PR. It is all perception. If you have that sense of legitimacy, that you can have that badge of the UN behind you, then you can check all the boxes you want and still push your agenda forward on the world stage. Legitimacy is huge. Now, there was an uh, – is this comes from the book uh, from – Cleon Cluson's book, The Naked Communist, but this list was read to the U.S. Congress back in 1963, a list of 45 communist goals. And I'm going to read just three, four of them that pertain specifically to the U.N. The, the seventh goal of the, the 45 communist goals that were set up in the thirties and forties, saying if we can establish all of these forty-five goals, we will then be able to have a subversive power to over overthrow culture and thereby spread our ideological our ideological pathogens across globes, dismantle nations, and disrupt nations so that we can move into that vacuum of power to establish uh, our our agenda. So here's four of these things as it pertains directly to how communism decided to use the UN as an apparatus to further progress its agenda. Number 7, they said they do they wanted to grant recognition to Red China, admission of Red China to the UN. That happened. To set up an East and West Germany as separate states in spite of promises that were made in 1955 to settle the German question by free election under the supervision of the U.N. And that happened. Allow Soviet satellites individual representation in the U.N. We we just heard on the previous clip that communist nations make up 60 percent of the Human Rights Council. And they, they hold veto power in the Security Council. Number 11, to promote the—this is this is the kicker. This is the one right here. To promote the UN as the only hope for humankind, if its charter is rewritten, demand that it be set up as a one-world government with its own independent armed forces. Ding, 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 ding. They have their own independent armed forces. In fact, I, I decided not to to pull this clip, but there's a clip— back in 2010, the UN armed forces were in Haiti and a a number of the UN armed forces got caught just doing horrible, horrible things to their citizens. And there's story after story, nation after nation, Rwanda, uh, um, one of them, of UN quote unquote peacekeepers standing by and just letting genocide happen right before their eyes. It's horrendous but it has been the UN in the eyes of the of many of the world is this savior to mankind is the, the hope for mankind it is we need to push for a one world government oh i can't well he, here's a clip here's another clip d- describing the the roots of the UN and the corruption that goes along with those roots
2: Well, at the end of World War II, the main driver was the robber baron banking families in the United States and England. And they got the vanquished European nations to sign on and Russia to sign on to a certain extent, the Soviet Union. And that's why, always, uh, since its founding, the power has resided, as you pointed out, with the Security Council. And the rest of it is mainly a debating society. And the West has used the UN as a place to basically get all the world leaders in one place so they can have the IMF and World Bank come in and attempt to buy them off or set them up.
0: It's an apparatus for globalism. Now, we, we might say, well, what's so what's so bad about globalism? Don't, don't we want to have a globally connected world? Well, yes, we want to have free trade. We want to have a globally connected world. But we don't want some nation halfway around the world being able to control what's happening in your sovereign nation. We want to be able to elect our, our own officials. We want to be able to have our local government make policies for our local government not to be controlled by a, a globalist army that's being run by elites across the globe. Global elites. Now, at the same time, this is where I think it's really f- funny. When it comes to some of, uh, you know, mostly American or American politics really right now as it's an expanding empire. Uh, But when it comes to empires and colonialism, specifically when it comes in regards to America, there's two sides of the argument. The first side of the argument is people say, well, America shouldn't involve and get involved with other nations. We, We shouldn't be interventionism. We should be against interventionism. When American does intervene, there's a lot of a lot of people complaining, saying, "Well, they should stick to their own business." But then, when former President Donald Trump came in and said, "You know, what? we're not going to intervene. We're going to figure out how to fix America. We're going to focus on America," and all those people who were saying, "Well, America should stop intervening in other people's business," turned around and said, "Well." See look this is just horrible America needs to take care of the world it's like well which one is it i mean which one is it here and this same problem is happening right now in Haiti cuz Haiti with this with this assassination has turned to America and and president Biden asking Biden for help and now Biden isn't in a hard place he doesn't want to give he wants to give them help, but he doesn't want to send American troops in because in two thousand nineteen fifteen they sent American troops in. And it they ended up being there for 20 years because you you end up with with essentially um, help creep or, or project or budget creep, scope creep, where the troops are sent in just for, you know, just for 16 months, 10 months, six months to just calm things down and then – just drags on and on and on for decades. So Biden doesn't want to send troops in that could be sent on for decades, but he does want to help. How do you how do you balance that? It's it's hard. It's I don't think it's easy. But it's it, it, I say that to go back to this argument about globalism, in that we want to see, and it's healthy to have sovereign, independent nations that can represent their people. And those independent nations can establish trade agreements and, and agreements with other nations. We And we should have a place where we can come together and talk, but we do not necessarily need a one-world globalist government with a globalist, a, a global military or a global currency to control your waking, your sleeping, what your nation can and can't teach, what your nation can or can't say. Here's another clip by uh, the infamous Alex Jones.
2: It was set up to help establish a private corporate global government through the big banks that are going into the other nations and trying to take them over via subterfuge and uh, economic hitman operations. Uh, So so, so now they're just moving to a pure global government run by finance oligarchs that we see swallowing Europe. They don't really even need the U.N. anymore uh, for that. They have economic warfare.
0: Economic warfare. How true is that? We don't even, in some ways, we don't need the, the UN doesn't need the UN any, anymore. Globalists, banking globalists don't need the UN anymore because the banking system, the IMF is so worldwide. And even when we look at, even if we go back to the proposals that they set out in 1963, they wanted to see the UN have its own military apparatus and they have that. And now- the EU, which is moving into that same vein, the EU is also attempting to build up their own military apparatus. We're not going to get too much into that into in this episode, but they are building uh, border patrol in the EU. But the EU was always supposed to be a, a trading bloc, and each nation was still supposed to have its own sovereign uh, – freedoms and and autonomy to create their own military and and es- explicitly set up not to have an EU military even though that was something that was desired from the onset of the EU but speaking of globalists and EU seeking to control and and manipulate other nations We have touched on this previously, but Hungary has established laws that are pro-family laws. They like to call them anti-LGBTQ laws, but really the LGBTQ community is protected in Hungary. What the laws have been put into place are laws to protect from LGBT activists entering and and taking root in the education systems and sowing – their, their ideology and doctrine into education and targeting minors under 18. Well, the EU, no way. They're not happy about this. In fact, they're pretty upset about this. Here's a clip from DW News. This is the European Commission Chief.
3: Here's what European Chief, Chief, uh, Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen had to say about the new law. This law puts homosexuality and gender reassignment on par with pornography. It uses the protection of children, to
0: which we are all committed, as an excuse to severely discriminate against
2: people because of their sexual orientation. This law is disgraceful.
0: Yeah, they are not happy. The, the EU is not happy. They're threatening A lawsuit. They're threatening uh, financial action, which goes right back to what the infamous Alex Jones was saying of uh, they don't even need to. Maybe I'll say it this way. It is much easier to put pressure on a nation by blocking funds within the EU and threatening to kick someone out of the EU than by having to go through an apparatus such as the UN. Well, this this story goes on. Here is a clip from World Is One News We Weona News uh, talking more about the consequences that might befall Hungary from the the globalists in their their vendetta against them.
2: Anderlein did not elaborate on the consequences, but according to EU lawmakers, such steps could mean a ruling by the European Court of Justice and freezing
4: EU funds for Budapest.
0: Money, freezing EU funds for Budapest, freezing EU funds. But man, I honestly, there are some things that I really like about what Hungary is doing, for instance they're defining what a normative family is and what a normative family looks like. Listen to this.
2: Another thing to note here is that
4: last year in alteration to the Hungarian constitution, the definition of
2: families was changed to exclude transgender and other LGBTQ plus individuals. It defines the basis of the family as marriage and the
4: parent-child relationship, clearly stating that the mother is a woman and the father
2: is a man.
0: I like that. I mean, it's so logical. A a family is a father who is a biological man and a woman who is a biological female. They come together. They have kids. And that makes a family. Now, and I've been wanting to talk about this. And we don't have time to talk about it today. But maybe on the future episodes, we're going to be talking about how this, this push is really a push to to go back to Plato's republic when it when we look at what's happening with feminism and this this the degeneracy of morality and promiscuity and when you look at culture and society what we don't realize is that it's Ju- judeo-christian norms judeo-christian culture that has been so established through the enlightenment and, and through uh The influence sources of Europe and the West over the last 400 years that really have established what we consider today as normative families as something that is normative, that is under attack. But when you look at world history outside of those Christian Judeo norms of of one husband, one man, one woman, you have kids you stay married, that is a positive thing. And that drives, that is a driver of generational wealth. There's a driver of, of, of security. That is a driver of people knowing that they can be dependent on their family rather than having to turn to the government for dependence. And because of that, that is a, it's uh, something that stands diametrically opposed to what a lot of globalists Want to see now globalists want to see big government, globalists want to see very pluralistic societies, and globalists often tend to skew towards socialism and communist esque type ideologies and control systems. And when we look back at that list of 45 communist goals, we see a couple more that go right along with this story from Hungary. Number 25 on that list was break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books and magazines and motion picture. That, I mean, my goodness, that has been achieved for a number of decades now, along with promoting pornography in uh, radio and TV. Number 26 and this is what we're in the midst, we've been seeing this for decades, but we're we're seeing it taken to its extreme conclusion, present homosexuality and degeneracy and promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. It's normal, natural, and healthy. That is what's being presented in the world today. And this is coming from socialist, ideologies, because if you can destroy the family unit, if you can destroy families and and if you can remove kids from their families, and if, man, if you don't know who your mom and your dad are, if you're not really sure, we can't pass down generational wealth. If you're not really sure who your parents are, well, now the state is going to take care of you. That was another one of their goals is to, to take children away from families and have them raised by the states because- Families are, you know, they're the cause of all the problems that children go in under. And so we need to educate children via the state. We're seeing that through what we like to call public schools, but they are government, government schools. And here's the last one. Discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. What Hungary is doing is they are taking a stand for for healthy, normative family culture. And at the same time they're saying, hey, if you were an adult, if you are 18, go for it. You can you can do what you want with your life. You can live the lifestyle that you want, but we are going to make sure that we are we are forming strong boundary lines, the making the the banks of our river high so that we can push culture into a healthy direction because we are seeing the destructive nature that uh, this degeneracy leads to. We see how it erodes the health of a culture over time. And they're probably also aware of, of what Russia was trying to do in the USSR. They're aware In the USSR, they had set up incentive programs for women to get divorced and not get married and give their kids over to the state so that the state could raise their children so that there is no such thing as generational wealth and private property. But so every individual, rather than being able to rely on their family, must rely on the state. Yeah, that makes sense. Welcome to Yeah, That Makes Sense in a post-truth society where we have exchanged truth for lies and reason for post-modern irrationality. The absurd is the only thing that really makes sense, which brings us to today's clip. Now, this is uh, before I play the clip. It's not necessarily something new, not brand new. It came out this week, but this argument in this this breath of rationality and just such bold insight um I've heard it before but it man here's this here's this clip and uh f- for those of you who are listening and not watching uh, if you're listening on a a a chapters compatible or a podcast uh, 2.0 compatible app Podcast app, you will be able to uh, see some pictures pop up right there of this uh, person i don 't want to misgender this individual this person uh, talking, and you can probably guess what 's going on here.
4: It is rooted in fundamental transphobia. I hear a lot of gay men saying to me well i like I like men. I think that trans men are handsome." but I could never ever sleep with one of them. Well, thank you for telling everyone you're very boring. Also, you're, this is just transphobia. Like I don't think any of you know what that word means, but it is, if you have to exempt or rationalize why you don't want to be with a transgender person in the first place, Trying to get you to see how you're being transphobic is
0: impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. I want to play you the very beginning of the clip because, oh my goodness, the accent is so funny.
4: Is rooted in fundamental transphobia.
0: Transphobia. <laughs> it's like I don't think this person is uh, British by the, the rest of their accent, but this clearly it is a uh, a biological male with bright green uh, curly hair that I, I believe is now probably identifies as a transgendered woman is talking about talking to gay men, saying, "Well, if you don't want to be with a a, 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 a trans a trans man, so a f- biological female." who became a man if you don't want that sort of relationship well then you're transphobic which it's like ah i mean the the people have said the same thing if if you're a, a straight man cisgender normal normative heterogendered, cisgender male and you don't want to be with a trans woman well then you're transphobic it's like well no i'm i mean no? No. On top of this, with this rationality and reasoning, it's like, well, okay, well, I'm happily married to one woman. Does that mean does that mean that by the fact that I don't want to be with three point five billion other women, that I'm all of a sudden women phobic? Or does the fact that I like a certain type of food maybe, but I don't like other dishes. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some random dish from I don't know Argentina that I don't like. Does that mean I'm I'm xenophobic because I, I don't like a certain dish? But the 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 logic has just gone so far that it's the the woke eating their own. And now it's well if you're gay and you don't want to be with a if you don't want to be with a woman then you're transphobic. If you're a biological male that doesn't want to be with a biological woman that calls herself a male then you're transphobic. It it just goes to show that this trans movement they they fully believe they they fully believe that a trans woman is actually legitimately 100% a woman no different than a biological woman. They fully believe like they embody the belief to the core of their being that if a woman decides to become a man, they are no different biologically or or gender-wise. There are there's absolutely no distinction between the two. This is how how far they actually believe believe the the message that they're pushing out so i commend them that they're you know being cohesive in their worldview but it's just not true it's just not true and and the fact that they would the fact that anyone would then go and try to guilt trip twist someone's arm into into buying their agenda and being with it goes all the way back to the communist goals, trying to, trying to present homosexuality, degeneracy, and promiscuity as quote-unquote normal, natural, and healthy. That is what's happening in this clip, this TikTok clip. There, this person is trying to present homosexuality, degeneracy, promiscuity, suing in every which way as normal, natural, and healthy. That is the the lie that is being propped up and that for everyone that's most likely listening to this who, who believes that a family is a biological woman as a mother and a biological man as a father and they come together and they have a child and that child or children then becomes a family, that that's what a family is, that that is normal, natural, and healthy. You are now a bigot. You are now whatever, whatever, whatever phobic. And you are now guilty of a hate crime because you've discriminated. That is what they're saying in the EU. And this is coming probably already in full force through the UN. This is what's coming through the globalist uh, pipeline. This is what's coming. So what do we got to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? Well, that's what we're we're going to hit on next in our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Before we get into that, if you want to get more value out of the show, the way that you do it is by sending this episode to a friend, a coworker, a spouse, and talking about it. Because when we talk about these things, we build a, a cultural understanding. We're laying bricks of language to help defend ourselves, defend and inoculate our community against these schemes that are looking to destroy us. They're looking to destroy our family. They're looking to destroy your life. They really are. They're really looking to destroy normal, healthy, and natural relationships between people. The way that we defend is by sharing and talking. And that is how we can get more out of this episode. And remember, the first job as leaders, and we are all leaders in some capacity in our community, the first job as leaders is to define reality and define our cultural norms. And that is done brick by brick, conversation by conversation, episode by episode. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. I love, I love this segment of the show. Today's, today's ancient wisdom is by none other than Jesus Christ. He said in Mark 3, 24 and 25, a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. What we have seen in culture over the last hundred years is a small minority of people, united, two, three, 4% united, is able to shift global culture. A small percentage of population and of elites are able, because they're united, because they, were, they laid out a long strategy that was on a united front to take over media, to take over education, to take over government positions, to take over the U.N., to, to slowly reframe and move that – the windows of conversation. Slowly but surely, because they were united, they were able to sway – the majority, they were able to sway the 80, 90% of the global population, to some degree at least, along these lines and win the cultural battle. When, When you are aligned, when you are in unity, you have power. You have power when you are in agreement with your brothers, with your sisters, with your family, with those around. But if If we fall into a place that is divided, as we have seen, the majority of the world has been divided for so many decades. Culture has been divided for so many decades, and we've divided over foolish and silly things. That opens a door, that brings that little crack for a wedge to come in for those who are united to Take ground. Well, the good news for you and I is that if we unite, if we build a strong culture, if we build strong organizations, if we build strong families that are united around core issues that we can stand, then we too can defend ourselves from falling prey. We can defend our communities from falling prey. And in time, I really do believe we can see a turning of the tide. Maybe not on a global scale right away, but at least within our community in the coming months, in the coming years. And we can turn the tide of these agendas, that globalist agendas that are seeking to destroy normative, natural, and healthy family and to essentially subterfuge uh, your family and your, your nation uh, to their globalist schemes. Well, that is all for the show. Thanks for listening. Remember, you are someone who goes out to discern truth. It's through that discerning of truth and understanding the world, that building of a framework of a worldview that we're able to walk out our purpose. And that purpose enables us to own our future, not just for us, but for our children and for many generations to come.